Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today, I need to tell you there's yet another new benefit for you if you're going to a doctor practice, a surgery center, a hospital, whatever. There's now a new requirement for disclosure of prices to you that I don't even think the medical industry is aware of and up to date on. And I'm going to tell you what you need to know so you can protect your wallet. And later, I've got some really exciting news about another disruptor offering individual checking accounts and savings accounts at a much better deal than you're used to from the big bad bank. So there's this piece of legislation we've talked about, it's law, that deals with you when you're in a hospital or something like that, and you're at a facility that's in your network, that if they hit you with some kind of bill saying, oh, this might have been in network, but that was out of network, so I got to pay these zillion dollars, that's something that you don't have to worry about anymore. And in fact, there's even a federal hotline you can call and report when a hospital is misbehaving on the no surprises law but there's another thing nobody's talking about except some industry oriented uh, blogs or industry publications that are about the right you have now to a good faith estimate now think about that when you go get a mortgage they have to give you something called a good faith estimate of settlement costs And that's a requirement of the law. Not everybody in the banking business complies with that, but that's a law too. So now, when you're going to have a non-emergency thing, you have the right to a good faith estimate. And the rules are pretty tight. Once you know to ask for that and you get it, for them charging you way beyond that. There are caps on how much you can be charged beyond that. But here's the beauty of it. I want to take you down a road I've mentioned before. So let's say uh, you're told you need to get uh, some kind of the most clear one where you can save a fortune. You're told you need to have a diagnostic like a CAT scan or an MRI or something like that. And you're given a referral by your physician to a hospital-based MRI or CAT scan. Okay, So here's the scam you should know on the scan. If you just say, oh, okay, I have insurance. I'm going to go to the hospital and I'm going to have this test done. Well, your out-of-pocket on your health plan will be more 
then if you go to an independent scan center and you just pay cash, which you wouldn't know if you don't take advantage of the good faith estimate. So you'd find out, wow, so this scan is $6,200 at the hospital, but $420 at a freestander. Believe it or not, the differences are often that great. More often, it'll be just five times the price at a hospital what it would be at a freestander. And this is all part of how we've got to think now with non-emergency care, with the way our health plans tend to work, with these very large deductibles each year and co-pays. So you and I have what they refer to as skin in the game now, where it used to be we didn't really focus that much on the price because, well, we have insurance and we only have to pay this much and the rest is paid by, by some tooth fairy somewhere. <laughs> so now you're the tooth fairy. You're paying these big deductibles each year and co-pays on each thing you do often or cost share on each thing you do. So taking advantage of the good faith estimate and knowing what it would be is going to really help you with so many things you may do. Is another example, having an outpatient surgery at a hospital-based outpatient surgery center will usually cost twice or three times what it would be at an independent surgery center. Not always, just usually, because the way it works now, the hospital market has gone through a dramatic change over the last 25 years. And hospitals are trying to establish massive market share and market strength by metro area. And as they get that market share and market strength, they then take the prices for procedures. And normally, as organizations get larger, they potentially become more efficient. There's something called economies of scale in business. But in the hospital business, it's the opposite. As they get larger, the prices go up, 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 and away instead of down. So now you know that you as a consumer have tools now to go shop, and those tools could save you a ton of money. Krista? This question's from Michael in Alabama. Is it complicated to change the company that manages our investment accounts? My wife and I have Roth IRAs and a college fund for each of our children through a company that we aren't getting a very good response from. Every time we email our agent, we never get a response, and all we ever get are bulk emails he sends out. Recently, when I look at our accounts, I see regular small charges each month that I cannot understand the reason for. If we wanted to switch to another manager like Fidelity, would they handle it, or would we have to close the accounts with the company we have now, pay the penalties, and move the money ourselves? All right. So, Michael, I'm so glad you're asking about this, and I'm very puzzled because you're with an ultra, ultra, ultra high-cost money manager, investment company. I mean, massive commissions and expenses with who you're with. And in theory, the idea of being with such an ultra high cost provider is that you would be getting a lot of personal attention. By your telling, 
you're getting the worst of all possible worlds. You're paying huge costs and you're getting no service at all. So what you're paying with this company versus being with, uh, you mentioned Fidelity, you're paying probably 40 times the expenses with them that you would be paying with Fidelity all in. 40 times. That's your money that's vanishing in huge costs that you don't need to pay. So there's a couple of elements here. And so I'm going to get you lost in the weeds for a a bit here, Michael, but hang with me. So Roth IRA money, you are allowed to sell the positions you have with this ultra high cost company, which is what I want you to do with no tax consequence and require that they send you a check of the money. And then you're given 60 days, no more than better to be less from the date on the check you receive from this high cost company to march that money over to Fidelity or some other low cost company Fidelity is a great choice for you and put the money in no tax at all you open a Fidelity Roth IRA or wherever low cost you'd go and then you put the money into what you're going to have it in the Roth if it were me at Fidelity the simple button is to put it in their index-based target retirement fund for the year closest to when you're going to retire. The cost of that is so close to zero, it's crazy. And your money will grow fine over the years. So now let me move you into the weeds. You're with an ultra-high-cost, ultra-commission company. And the salesperson may have put you in things that have what are known as surrender charges for selling them. So not only are they charging you giant fees to be in them, there may be fees for you to exit from the investments inside that Roth IRA. And that you're only going to know when you ask. Obviously, your salesperson doesn't want to talk to you. So you're going to have to call the administrative side and find out. Or you could take your statement in to a Fidelity Investor Center, and they'll be able to decode all the uh, financial mumbo jumbo and walk you through the process and let you know how to get it done. Now let's move to the second thing you mentioned, college fund. I don't know if the college fund you're in is one of those garbage insurance policies being sold as if they're a college fund, which is very common with this particular company, high cost company you're with, or if they have you in a legit 529 college savings plan. If you're in a legit 529 college savings plan, you are allowed to move the money tax and penalty free from this provider to a low cost 529 plan provider. And I have a guide at clark.com that'll walk you through the low cost plans. Look for one, see if I've got a recommended one in your state of Alabama. And then the state would help you, the 529 plan provider, or if Alabama is not one of the better plans, I just don't remember with 50 states, pick one of my favorite plans on my dean's list with high honors, and they'll help you migrate that money if it is, in fact, in a legit 529 plan. If it's in one of those crummy uh, insurance policies pretending to be a college fund, then this gets a lot messier 
And then again, I would default to an investment advisor with, um, with Fidelity who would walk you through what to do with the money that they've put into a garbage insurance policy. But again, I don't know if you're in 529 or you're in some kind of pretend college fund that is being sold through insurance. And Chris has pulled up the Alabama plan college counts 529 fund is uh, an honor roll choice. So it's not the highest level of the 529 plans, but it is a good, decent plan. And that would be where you'd want to save for your kid's college. And I apologize for the length of my answer on that one. This was pretty complicated situation. And it's one of those things that in life, it can be a lot easier to get into trouble than to get out. And being with an ultra high cost, ultra, ultra high commission organization where the representatives are not fiduciaries, they are not legally required to do what's best for you. They do what's best for their firm and for their own wallet at your great expense. It's something that you got to stop the bleed and get out of there. This is from James in Michigan. Does it make sense to pay medical expenses with cash instead of using HSA funds that are compounding interest? James, James. Okay, heroic question. Yes, if you can afford to pay your medical expenses that you face as a deductible that made you eligible in a high deductible health plan to be in an HSA, pay them with cash let the HSA continue to grow. However, if you're doing this as a long-term play, a long-term strategy, I don't want you in an HSA that's a savings account kind of vehicle. I want you in investments in your HSA because HSAs are the absolute best tool we have to save for retirement because they have a triple tax benefit. You're able to use pre-tax dollars to fund your HSA that grows tax-free and superior to any other retirement-type vehicle, you're able to spend the money way down the road tax-free. So you took pre-tax dollars you never paid tax on, they grow tax-free all through the years, and then you spend them tax-free at the end of the game. Best, best, best. So if you think over the years, over the decades, you can pay your deductibles with cash on hand. You want that HSA to build, you want it to grow, and as a result, you want to invest the money, not save it. A lot of people aren't aware that a lot of organizations, gosh, it's like the Fidelity segment. Mm -hmm. Fidelity is a very good player in the um, HSA market with the ability for you to do ultra-low-cost investing with your HSA money and have it grow all through the years, and then much later in life, typically in retirement, that's when you start drawing on it to pay medical expenses as those tend to grow as we age. So that's when you know that you're getting older is when the preamble from a medical professional is, as we age or as we grow older... (laughs) (laughs) that's when you want to spend your HSA money is when the medical people start using either of those phrases as they launch into talking to you about something. 
So coming up next, there's a new checking account from American Express that's a potentially great alternative for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We have such an interesting time right now in personal finance and that we have these legacy organizations with stranded costs known as traditional banks, places that have branches with parking lots and people that when you do business with one of these, uh, they're becoming slowly dinosaurs you pay a huge amount of overhead by doing business with them that in a modern era, the era of smartphones and the internet, that you don't have to do anymore. And so one player after another after another, either a newbie starting up, what are known as fintechs, or an old player, but one that's never had branches, says, you know what, we could do that too. Um, I think of military personnel, retirees, and their families having access to USAA Federal Savings Bank that is now one of the largest banks in the United States and, to my knowledge, doesn't have a single branch in the world but does business worldwide and is able to offer a very low-cost operation that passes the savings on to USAA members. Well, now a very... A big profitable organization, American Express, that's trying to make money on everything they do, has launched what they call a digital checking account. And so this, the brand name for it is Amex Rewards Checking, is available to any cardholder with American Express. And American Express is really looking at what their cardholders really are motivated by and how they've set up the checking account. It's a fee-free checking account and you get points as you use their account debit card, not a product I think of American Express with, with their charge cards and credit cards, but now they're going to have an American Express debit card tied into this and they're going to have reward points that you can earn using that with your checking account, as well as instead of looking for every possible way to fee you on a checking account, they're going to pay half a percent on the checking account. I mean, I mean, no, not a lot, but you compare it to the giant monster mega banks 
that are always looking every day for what new fee they can dream up to charge you. Can I ask you? Because you always say you don't like debit cards. Right. How do you feel about that? So this is is a tough one for me Mm -hmm. because their rewards are tied in to this debit card. And the risk with debit cards, if you use them for walking around kind of things, then there's less risk of not having the protections of the American Express credit card you're carrying. Because with that credit card, you buy something, the merchant doesn't deliver the goods you order online, or you buy an airline ticket and the airline goes bust or whatever, you're protected with that credit card. On the other hand, you use the debit card, you don't have those protections. And if somebody does compromise that number, what happens is the money you have in the American Express checking account, it goes poof. With the debit card, that kind of scenario doesn't happen with a credit card. So, yes, very important. And so anytime there's a scenario, like someone will ask me, so I've got this offer that I'll get 2% on my checking account if I use a debit card 15 times a month. And they'll say, well, yeah, I know you hate debit cards. How would I decide? And what I always say about something like this is you gauge risk. You know if you do that and jump through the hoops, you're going to get the 2% interest on your account. You know you're going to get that. There's the possibility that someone will cause havoc in your life by compromising the card and your money's vanishing and you're having to fight to get your own money back and all that. Um, So you weigh the reward you know you're going to get versus the risk involved. And don't keep all your money in it. Well, that is the other alternative is, but that's not what American Express is after. They're not after people having this as a non-transaction account. They're looking for people to use this as their regular checking account. Because, I mean, think about when's the last time you were in a branch bank? Years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's not something we do. We don't go to branches anymore and it's funny if you go into some banks now and you have a problem with your account they say we don't handle that here you've got to call the toll-free number (laughs) i mean why'd you spend five million (laughs) dollars building this branch and you won't help me in the branch i mean come on so anyway what i want you to know is that if i do decide to get the american express account rewards checking because I do have an American Express card, I won't be using the debit card. I will bypass those rewards. What I'll benefit from is the half a percent interest. That would be my lure. And so I guess that's the long way around answering your question about the hazards and opportunity being offered here. Okay. We have a question here from Jeannie in Virginia. I have been bequeathed a bottle of bourbon that appears to be quite valuable. I've seen it advertised online priced at between ten dollars and $12,000. I realize that retailers can ask whatever they want for something and that if I'm selling this myself, the price will be far lower. That being said, here are my questions. How do I go about ascertaining what would be a reasonable price to set? And more importantly, how do I go about selling something such as this? So Jeannie, it's so funny you're asking about this because just weeks ago, I don't drink. So I don't know anything about liquor or anything like that. 
And uh, I shouldn't say I don't drink. Occasionally, I'll have like five beer a year, maybe. Like one, one at a time. At a time. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. Five <laughs> at a time. Anyway, so I don't, I don't know anything about it. But then I read this story and I was like, my mind was blown. I had no idea that there was this huge collector's market for particular bottles of bourbon and scotch and things like that. I didn't know. I mean, I, I mean, it, when, when we have a party and we have to have alcohol, I just go to the liquor store at Costco and I buy whatever Kirkland signature there is of each kind of liquor and I'm done. I, I wouldn't think of this as like collectible, but there is big money right now. And a lot of alcohol snobs, I was reading this story or like, I can't believe people are paying money for bourbon. I mean, bourbon's nothing, but, but I mean, it's definitely a big collector's market. So, Jeannie, there's some work involved in this for you to get uh, the best value for this bottle of bourbon. And one of the things you should do is find a local club. There are these clubs that meet and people talk about it and they buy and sell among themselves. And that's going to probably be your best place to find true fair market value for this bottle of bourbon you have. I'm, I'm getting you to spend some time, and you will hear a lot of talk from people that'll just go, if you're not into this, go right over your head. But all you need to know is how much money you're going to be able to get for this bottle of bourbon. And there are, the collectors are going to be a great market for you. And there are some uh, specialty liquor stores that sell to collectors. You're not going to get retail that way. Uh, but you will, if it is the real deal, you're going to get real money for it as long as you've done your homework. And the local, um, what do you call that kind of club? It's not a collector's club, is um, it? It's probably collectors, but there are also people who would like their businesses to buy and sell bourbon specifically. Uh, we asked one of our staffers who's sort of an expert, and <laughs> he said... <laughs> an expert because he does this or he, he likes no, to drink? No, no, he likes to drink. And okay. he said that... Um, <laughs> He said that there, he actually looked up some in your area that I will send to you um, because he recommended obviously not shipping it Wait, to someone. Wait, you're letting me talk all this about what I read and all that, and you have already done all this work? <laughs> See, what people don't know is I'm the show horse and you're no, the workhorse. No, not at all, not yeah. at all. But anyway, that's, you know, you don't want to send it off because you could get scammed, I'm sure, in this environment right. big time too. So there are people who, like, they specifically uh, buy and sell bourbon in this case and um you might want to go in person to get a price or get a price through email and then maybe take it to them in person sounds great okay this is from steven thanks for doing that work by the way of course that's my job steven in north carolina says hi clark i really need my financial dad to allow me to make a big purchase i'm in the middle of building my casket house or the last house i'm building before kicking the bucket i'm 48 single annual income of 170,000 I have approximately $1.6 million in retirement funds, 100000 in a rainy day fund, and save roughly 25% of my biweekly pay for investments and savings. No student loans, no credit card debt, and only five years left on the existing mortgage. I feel like we're going to get questions wanting this person's phone number, uh, but anyway. 
truth. I was thinking it, and I didn't know any way to say that, so I was just going to keep my mouth shut. I can't. I can't. And then you go there. I'm a blabbermouth. I'm an intermediate-level piano player and have always wanted a small to medium-sized grand piano. I have the perfect spot for it in the new house, but I need to be told that it's okay to use $30,000 of the rainy day money in order to order this piano. I consider myself to be very frugal. I know I could replace the money in short order, but this decision has literally kept me up at night. Please convince me I'm not being frivolous. So you're not being frivolous, Stephen. You need to go ahead and buy that grand piano. Enjoy it. You've put all your finances in incredible shape. I mean, 48 You've already saved $1.6 million in retirement funds. You've got this big rainy day fund. You're saving 25% of your pay regularly. Yes, you don't have the money to be like one of the pharaohs in Egypt and be buried with your gold trinkets around you. You're doing everything right. I will be upset with you if you don't buy the piano and then you need to record playing it send us a digital file so we can hear you enjoying your new grand piano and kimberly in ohio says my 17 year old is now working part-time does he need to file a tax return okay so i hate to give the lawyer answer that depends on how much your 17 year old has earned over the course of the year whether there's a need or requirement to file a tax return, but there may be a benefit because the great benefit for your 17-year-old, I would really love for your 17-year-old to develop the habit right now of opening and funding a Roth IRA. So the great news, Kimberly, is that you can file a tax return for free until your income is a pretty significant income The IRS has a program that you see right on the front page of irs.gov called Free File. It'll cost nothing for your 17-year-old to file the return, and it will provide the opportunity for your 17-year-old to open that Roth IRA. And I've got info on Clark.com how to open that Roth for your 17-year-old because the benefit of funding a Roth as a teenager is unbelievable how much wealth your teen can generate over a working lifetime by starting as a teen. And I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Clark Howard Show. Please, if you've enjoyed it, share our podcast with anyone you think who would enjoy it or benefit from it. And your shares of it, your reviews, help us reach and teach more people, which is what we're about my goal is to teach i was talking with a person of the cloth the other day and he said i know what you do but how would you describe what you do and i say what i say to anybody who asks what i do for a living is i'm a teacher and that's what i love doing i love sharing the knowledge empowering you so that you can take more control of your life and have more options with your future because you did take control of your life.